Lord, as we remember from our sermon series on Genesis, that we are in an age of grace. You are living in a time of ignorance, overlooking our sins. As you reach out to your people, as you save your children. And it is all by grace. And we are thankful. And we're here this morning because of that grace. We want to put you on display. Holy Spirit, please speak through me. May it be as if Jesus Christ were speaking behind this pulpit. The same authority and power to teach us as we look at how things will end and the signs of your coming. The coming that we pray for. We long for your second coming, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Take a seat, get your Bibles out. I'm going to begin what we'll be talking about this morning is this part of where we are. It's it's a tribulation or a great tribulation. Okay, we are here right now. Um, we do not. We can only guess and interpret what we believe, what the scriptures tell us is going to happen this this time. Um, and there's varying interpretations of this, but we do know we are at the time of the Gentiles. There's a partial hardening that has gone on in the nation of Israel. Okay, because when you first came. You know, God's design was what? Through the people of Israel, the world would be saved. Even the location of the nation of Israel was a trade route where people would come in and see how different they are. Okay? They didn't hold up their end of the bargain, the people as Israel, and so eventually they were judged, and then they, God sent them their Messiah, Jesus Christ, and they rejected him. Okay? And Jesus came for his own, for both Jew and Gentile, but primarily Jew. And then, after his death and resurrection, he sent his disciples out to reach the entire world, including Gentiles. And now we know through the Apostle Paul that this is a time of God's favor, and it's a time of the Gentiles. The Gentiles are being brought to Christ, and we are all one in Christ. In fact, Paul says that we're all Israel, right? Neither Jew or Gentile, all right? Then there's this... Uh, Last week of Daniel, that's prophesied in Daniel 9, 24 through 27, one seven-year period that Jesus describes as a, a great tribulation. And we're talking about the signs of his coming. We'll get into those in detail this morning. So get your Bibles out, turn to Matthew 24. Uh, it's actually it's supposed to be verse 14. I made a mistake there. It's 24, 4 through 14. We will get through two of the signs this morning. So... Um, and let me preface this as well. Um, there are so many verses to give you an idea of the signs of a second coming that I was forced to choose from a few. Okay? And you are going to hear me by design use words like massive, unprecedented, staggering, intense. Okay? That's all by design to what little 
command of the English vocabulary I have to find words to describe what Jesus is saying here. So, let's look at verse 4. And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation, and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. And that at that time many will fall away, and will betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise, and will, will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people, people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Now, one of the takeaways from last week's sermon, as I introduced this subject, was the Jewish understanding of eschatology that was taken from the prophets of the Old Testament and how they were wrong. <laughs> they were wrong. Uh, the Jews of the first century saw one coming of the Messiah, not two. And let me just give you another brief illustration that will highlight this. I put this verse up here. You can turn if you want to, but this is Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. Isaiah, a very famous prophet of the Old Testament, says this, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord in the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Obviously, who is Isaiah referring to here? Jesus, or the Messiah, right? But notice the progression. There's the coming of the Messiah, the preaching of the gospel, the setting of captives free, you see that? And then what? A day of vengeance of our God. So the prophet sees what? The Messiah coming, preaching the gospel, and bringing the vengeance of the day of God at the same time. You see that? At one coming. Now watch this. Go to Luke chapter, well, you don't have to go there. Luke chapter 4, because you recognize this, right? Who taught on this? Well, none other than Jesus. He's in Nazareth. He's at the synagogue. And it was handed to him. And he opened up the scroll, and Isaiah 61 was the passage. Here we see it here. Does this look familiar? He, he reads this. Remember, all the eyes are on him because his, they think this is the guy. It's the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And all, 
and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Now the question is this, why did Jesus close the book halfway through verse 2? Because the next line is, in the day of vengeance of our God. He didn't read that, did he? Why didn't he read that part? Because that's in the future. What Isaiah saw as one coming, Jesus, being God, would know he would fulfill in two separate comings. And that is what the Jews understood about eschatology. Now, eschatology, if you don't are familiar with that term, it's the study of the last days or of the end times. And that's why he closed the book after preaching the acceptable year of the Lord. Because the first time the Savior came, he came to preach. The second time he comes, he will come to judge. Now, my argument was, since the first century uh, Jews were mistaken with their eschatology, might we be mistaken about ours? We always need to hold on loosely to what we believe about the end because we are interpreting things that we don't quite understand. And let me show you where we can make mistakes in our eschatology. And it comes with two key words, and it's just simply this, believe it or not. This is, really, in my opinion, the key to unlocking the signs. It's this word, birth pangs. Okay? Now, I shared this story before. I'll just share it very briefly as a, as a reminder to you. But when Erica was pregnant with our son, Mark, this was the first time that, that we were pregnant because we adopted our son, Jacob. And um, Mark, as you know now, is without shoes, I think, 6'3 to 6'4". He was a big baby in that small body. And Erica went way out, right? Okay, he was so big that she was numb up here. All right, for you wives or mothers that have carried children. Anyways, um, of course, being the first child, I don't know anything about, other than what reading a book about, you know, birthing a child and so on. But Erica uh, occasionally would have these little sharp pains or contractions. And she told me they were Braxton Hicks. If you'd asked me, about Braxton Hicks, I would have thought he was a football player. Okay? But they are like pre-labor contractions. Okay? And so she was having these Braxton, Braxton Hicks, and they were coming slowly more and more and more, but she thought that these were Braxton Hicks. And then um, she thought, well, this was a, feels a little bit different. We should probably go to the, the doctor. So we went and she was eight centimeters dilated. And that was Braxton Hicks. Well, it turns out Braxton Hicks had turned from Braxton Hicks to actual labor contractions, okay? And they started coming more frequently. But she was not in, like, serious, really serious pain until they broke her water. And then there was intense pain and screaming, and it was just, yeah, and every woman mother goes through that and so on. And she was a warrior and, and ended up having to have an emergency C-section with Mark. And I won't go into all the details of that. But this is what the key, in my opinion, to understanding the signs of his coming is this idea of birth pangs or birth pangs. Because the actual Greek word here is the pain a woman has in bringing forth a child. And the question is, when does birth pangs or birth pain occur? Your smart group, 
When does it occur? Just prior to birth, right? Or at the very end. And just like with every child that is born, you start monitoring the frequency of birth pains until they come in what? Closer together or rapid succession, right? Exactly. Then you know we got to get to the hospital because this child is coming. Okay? Now, new life is about to arrive on our planet. Now, how many of you, even before this sermon and other sermons, believe that Jesus Christ or have heard that Jesus Christ could come at any moment? Raise your hand if you ever heard that before. Okay? Or he could even come tomorrow. Keep your hands raised if you've heard that or whatnot. Okay? We talk about a sudden, unexpected return of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you right now, that tells you how bad your eschatology is. Because it's bad eschatology from people who taught you it. Because of two words. Birth pangs. He cannot come tomorrow. Why? It's not ready. Where are the, when you see the false Christ, we go over that, talk about the, and we'll get to the false Christ in wars and rumors of wars, there's no way he's coming tomorrow. Okay? That thinking that he could come without any of these signs happening, there's no way. Okay? But if you go to Christian bookstores or bookstores, you'll find books like that. They're not, they don't care about telling you the truth. They're trying to make money off this. Okay? So when you see books that say Christ can return at any time, be cautious. Now, as we unfold the text of Matthew 24, you're going to see that the signs that Jesus is referring to, and this is important, this is the whole idea of birth pangs, they're far more compressed There'll be many in a short time and far more intense than anything we have ever seen or heard in our lifetime. And the problem with these books on the signs of Christ's coming is they interpret, as you guys now know, the signs as if they are strung out all throughout the history of the church age. Just like, see, people are excited about this sermon. They're setting off fireworks <laughs> as I speak. Just like birth pains are not strung out all throughout the pregnancy, right? Neither are the signs of his coming strung out all throughout the history of the church age. The things which occur in, in, in rapid fire succession that usher in the fullness of the messianic kingdom, those are the signs that he's talking about. Think of it this way. There will come birth pains, events separated by time, and then less time, and then less time, until finally, right before the time of his coming, there will be an explosion. Here's the word of unprecedented, continual Holocaust events all across the earth. And I believe that is the force that this illustration of birth pains is to have on us. It's meant to make such an impression upon us because, and here's the word again, staggering intensity of these events, events that have never happened in the history of our world. And now while the Olivet Discourse, this is a sermon Jesus is giving on, in Matthew 24 and 25 on the Mount of Olives, the Olivet Discourse, is talking about the future, 
it does not mean that some of the events that will happen don't happen now. Okay? We have what? War, earthquakes, famine, trouble, killings, persecutions, hatred, and even some events in the sky that disturb us, right? In fact, if you've never been to the Midwest and in the summer seen a green sky, okay, that's very, very intimidating and different. Because, and that's a warning, because you know what you do when you see that? You go to the basement, okay? I don't think, have you ever had a green sky over here? Probably not, okay? So we have these events, you know, we see these things, okay? But that's nothing, nothing compared to the incredible display that's going to take place in that brief period of time called the birth pains of the kingdom. The prophet Jeremiah calls this, these birth pains the time of Jacob's trouble. That's Jeremiah 30, verses 4 through 10. Our Lord calls it the tribulation or the great tribulation, which was what I put up there in, in that timeline. Okay? It's a future time just before Christ comes. Now, because God wants us to know what is coming and be prepared, he gives us signs to watch for. And the question is, what are those signs? Well, there are six signs, and the first one is this, false Christs. So Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. Verse 5, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. Now again, I say to you, there have always been people who come in the name of Christ to lead us astray. It doesn't take a lot of time for you to remember somebody in the past that has, has done that. Jim Jones comes to mind, Correct. David Koresh. But not like the false Christ that will rise at the end. The level of deception will be unprecedented in number as deception kind of reaches its apex. And because of this, Jesus says, see to it. Beware. It means keep your eyes wide open. Well, why? Because People are going to be misled. Because what's happening is the world is, is starting to fall apart. Evil is running unchecked. There's an increase in lawlessness. Okay? And people are going to be looking for answers. Whenever there's a difficult time, whether in a personal event in your life or in a time of war, what eventually happens is that we want that to go away and we want things to turn back to the way they were. As a result, people will be vulnerable to people that come forward and say, I can get, turn it back to that way. I am the Messiah. All right? It's going to be that bad, people are going to want to go back to the way it was. Does that make sense? I mean, sin's running basically unchecked. Social relations, as we look at the text, natural affections and economy, they're going to be in a state of chaos. People are going to want a savior return the world to a sense of normalcy. And these false Christs are going to come out of the woodwork. And look, Jesus said there will be how many? Many. Many. They're going to be everywhere. It is our responsibility to not be misled. For many will be misled. As there is a multiplying of frauds, charlatans, and false messiahs. 
In fact, look at verses 23 and 26, 23 through 26 of Matthew 24. Then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders, so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. Now, folks, these are not garden variety false Christs. They're able to do what? Signs and wonders, and that's obviously since they're false, it's from a demonic source. The Egyptian magicians and sorcerers were able to an extent create the same miracles that Moses was able to do through the, and Aaron through the power of God. Not the same power, but they were able to do some of it. And this myriad of false Christs ultimately culminate in one false Christ who is indwelt by Satan and is called who? The Antichrist. Now Daniel, the prophet, calls him the little horn. John, the apostle, calls him the beast. Paul calls him the son of perdition or the son or man of sin, excuse me. He is deceptive, and that is what these false Christs are doing. They major in deception. This, false, this Antichrist brokers a false peace with all the nations. In fact, he's so deceptive, according to Daniel 9.27, even Israel as a nation makes a covenant, a peace agreement, we believe it is, with him under the pretense of peace. And Revelation chapter 6, which is something you should probably write down, it is a parallel passage to Matthew 24, it begins with the opening of the first seal, which occurs during this tribulation. So go to Revelation chapter 6, okay? To the very end. And I want to show you something, some things. These, the seals that are opened are, are sets a series of judgments that occurs during this time of tribulation. It gives us more insight into Matthew 24. And again, when you think of the time of tribulation, think of birth pains. Okay? Verse 2, Revelation 6, 2. I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now, who in the Bible is always associated with a coming on a white horse, okay? And Jesus also has bow and arrows, okay? He's the king with a sword and so on. This is a, a person with just what? A bow. Where are the arrows? And theologians believe that this is referring to the Antichrist, and he's going to conquer not with force, but through peace, okay? So the beginning of the birth pains is deception or deceit through a false Christ. That's Matthew 24. In the beginning of this, this tribulation that Jesus is referring to here in Matthew 24, in Revelation 6, it's a false peace. And notice what this Antichrist does. He's a false rider on a white horse imitating the true rider on the white horse of Revelation 19, which of course is Jesus Christ. Now, if this interpretation is correct, the idea still is the same. There is a false antichrist, false messiahs, 
false Christs that are in abundance during this time. In Daniel 11, I put this up here, we learn more about him, just because it's to save us some time. It says, this king, the false Christ, will do as he pleases. That tells you right there, a king that does as he pleases, that's not referring to Jesus. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god, and will speak monstrous things against the God of gods. And who's the God of gods? Yahweh, Jehovah, Jesus. And he will prosper until the indignation is finished, for that which is decreed will be done. This false Christ, this Antichrist, he is a king who does his own will. He exalts himself, and he poses the one true God. That is a picture of the Antichrist. He is prosperous because God allows him to be, until God decrees his time is done. I just want you to see that the deception is incredible. It's been given to him to deceive. This deception is described in greater detail in Revelation chapter 13. Since you're at chapter 6, go to chapter 13. And this is Jesus describing to John the Antichrist, starting in verse 1, as a beast. It says, Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. The sea referring to what? The sea of humanity, right? Out of all humanity. Having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his head were blasphemous names, and the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and the mouth like the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and a fatal wound was healed. The whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? And he was able to wage war, with, wage war with him. There was given to him a mouth, speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name, there's tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the whole world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. But all, look at that, all who dwell on earth whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life, worship this blasphemous, false Christ. Now, my point here is, can you imagine such deceitfulness that the world literally believes this is the Messiah that they've all longed to see? And that's what false Christs do. They deceive. And really, that's the point, not the details of the, that this passage pointed out. Alongside him comes another beast, known as a false prophet. Look at verses 11 to 15. They saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs, so he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives, there's the word again, those who dwell on the earth because of the sign which was given him to perform in the presence of the beast. 
telling those who dwell on the earth to make such an image, make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword that has come to life. It was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So he has all the power of the first beast and causes the earth through deception and who dwell on the earth to worship the first beast. And so Jesus says in light of all this, these future events, keep your eyes open. Because in the end, do not be deceived because there are false Christs, false messiahs coming, claiming to be me using my name. And of course, who's behind this deception? Look at Revelation 12, 9, since you're right there in chapter 13. It says, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now Paul, and you want to turn if you want to, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, has these same words about the Antichrist. And again, the point being is this is about deception. These false Christs will come and they are deceiving to mislead. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the same thing Jesus is talking about, and are gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So obviously, what is one of the things that the early church taught? Eschatology, his second coming, right? And there's people already distorting it. Verse 3, let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. So he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. This is referring to that, those verses right there, what Jesus is going to talk about in Matthew 24, the abomination of desolation. That's when you're going to really know this is who this Antichrist is. He says, Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that in this, his time he will be revealed. For this mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. By the way, I don't know if I'll, I'll set it up here. Who is this, who or what is restraining him? This will be a little bit of a point of contention. Because if you believe, which again, dispensational pre-tribulation eschatology or rapturism, okay, starting in the 1830s, the church is taken out of this. And what does righteousness in the church restrain? Sin. Then with that taken out, with the church taken out, lawlessness increases. There are those who believe that the restrainer is referring to the Holy Spirit. Not that he's taken out, but that his power is somewhat set aside to allow all this to happen. These are all guesses, folks, on it. But there is a restrainer that is restraining sin. Okay? 
And I believe that the church has that effect as well because we are salt and light. We prevent decay. We expose sin. Whatever it is, whoever it is, it's removed. And it's removed by God's design and God's sovereignty to bring about his purposes in the end, in the coming of his son. Now it says in verse 8, Then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will stay, will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, with all the deception, there's a the key word again, of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that all may be judged who do not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. So before the coming of the Lord, there's going to be a revealing of this man of lawlessness, this beast who deceives the world. He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, that is worshipped to show himself that he is God. That sounds exactly like Daniel eleven thirty six, doesn't it? I just want you to see that Daniel or Paul is in an alignment with Paul and with Jesus in these teachings, because the Bible is extremely consistent. So the first sign of the end of man's age is deception that is so effective, it ultimately results in the deception of the whole world. And it's no wonder why the Lord says, you better keep your eyes open. Is that happening today? No. Okay. One last point, wars, okay? Wars. Go back to Matthew 24. You'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. And once again, I'm going to say out loud what we've all thought. We've always had wars and rumors of wars. What our Lord is saying here isn't that like a pregnancy, there's not always birth pains throughout the entire pregnancy, only at the end, that in the end there will be nationwide or rather worldwide warfare on a scale unknown to any prior time. In massive proportions, there will be an intensification of war across the earth. The wars are going to be national, nation against nation. They'll be cultural, kingdom against kingdom. And if you're not involved in one war immediately, or even if you are, what are you going to hear? Rumors of wars. Exactly. And where wars don't exist, there will be rumors that they do. And perhaps another way of putting it would be that nations and kingdoms globally wide will be engaged in wars and rumors of wars. Now, how do I know there will be such a staggering scale of wars? Because what does verse 6 say in the text? You shall hear. You see that? You will hear. And that means, or carries with the idea, of a continual hearing. You're going to continually hear of wars, continually hear of rumors of wars, continually hear of nations and kingdoms fighting each other. It's like a constant ringing message 
at that particular time in history. Is that where we are now? No. And once again, we turn to Revelation to find more detail. Go back to Revelation chapter 6. Okay? I told you this is a parallel passage. It says this, verses 3 and 4, Revelation 6, 3 and 4. When he broke the second seal, what's the first seal? The false rider in the white horse conquering with that, that bow. We, we say that that's a false piece he's using to unite the world. Look what happens here. When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come. And another, a red horse, went out. And to him it said on it, it was granted to take what? Peace from the earth. And that men would slay one another, and their great sword was given to him. Now that peace that we think would happen by the first horse, where is it now? That false peace that the Antichrist established, as we, if we're interpreting that passage correctly, it's gone. It doesn't last long. It's taken from the earth, and the world does what? They begin to kill themselves in a massive slaughter. Men slay one another. See that? Look at verse 5, chapter 6, Revelation. When he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come. I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. I heard something like the voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. Do not damage the oil in the wine. Now, these verses describe a balancing of grain because of famine conditions. And the famine conditions are caused by one of two things, either weather or by war. Okay? And God has said that the seasons and everything's going to change until the end. Okay? But the point being is that, and we'll talk about this as a separate issue, but it's a result of war, these famine conditions, this global war. And wars, not global war, wars. Verse 7, when the Lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. I looked, and behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had this name Death, and Hades was falling with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth, to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. We'll go into this uh, in more depth next week. So these verses describe the massacre of what? One-fourth of the population of the world. As of today, there are 8 billion people alive. What is one-fourth of 8 billion? 2 billion people. Two billion people would be massacred in this slaughter that takes place worldwide. Now that makes sense. It would happen. Well, why? Because there are wars everywhere. The only way that could happen, unless there was some sort of natural event, like an earthquake. Revelation 9 describes further what happens in this war at the end. So turn to Revelation chapter 9, starting at verse 13, okay? Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, one saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. 
And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released, and they will kill what? A third of mankind. The number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on them, the riders who had breastplates, the color of fire, and of hyacinth, and of brimstone. And the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions, and out of their mouth proceeds fire and smoke and brimstone. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues. And just so you know the word angel here, if they're bound angels, they're, they're demonic spirits. Okay? They're released, and they cause devastation to the tune of the third of mankind is killed by what they unleash. Verse 19, for the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents and have heads, and with them they do harm. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, now watch this, did not repent of the works of their hands, so as not to worship demons in the isles of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor their immorality, nor their thefts. This describes another host of demonic forces to massacre a third of the population that's left after the original fourth have been slaughtered. But again, what stands out, even after one-fourth of the world is massacred in the Holocaust of war, another third is massacred here, some still don't repent. Revelation 13 tells us about the beast, the Antichrist. I'll just read this to you, verses 7 and verse 10. It says, It was also given to him, watch this, to make war with saints and to overcome them, and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. So there's more war. This time it's against saints. Verse 10, If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance in the faith of the saints. So the mighty power in this war is only the demonic forces of hell and Satan himself, but it is the Antichrist, the beast, who is going to go to war and massacre believers. In verse 10, he kills with the sword. And for the sake of time, we didn't look at the Antichrist in his war in Daniel 11, but he is the one who massacres in a separate war, the kings of the south. He routs the armies of the north. He defeats the armies of the east and sets up his power worldwide. But the idea is not even the details, it is this. It's the incessant massacre in warfare at this time. Wars and rumors of wars. Have we approached anything like that in the history of mankind? Are we close to it now? Can he come tomorrow? You, you see that now, right? And I say shame on these people who are trying to make money selling these books. Do you understand now why the key word in understanding, I think, these signs is birth pains? You got that? First time for anyone thinking it this way? It was for me. Anybody? First time understanding this? So everyone else is smarter than me. Then why am I up here doing this then? <laughs> Y'all need to put the time and effort. You guys can speak on this. Okay. Let me read you Revelation 16, verses 13 through 16. In fact, just turn there since you're in Revelation, because you all will be excited about this. This is the end, by the way, 
of this sermon. Verses 13, 16, Revelation 16. I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are spirits of demons performing signs, which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for, again, what? Another war. The war of the great day of God, the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes, so he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. And they gather them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Armageddon. This is the battle of Armageddon. And of course, if I were to take you back here, I'll go all the way back to the beginning here, you can see this is what we're referring to right here when he comes again. This is when he's going to come during this battle. It's another war, right? Wars and rumors of wars, okay? So that's what that is, all right? These deceived kings, leaders, presidents, nations, and their armies, they battle in a holocaust of war, and in the midst of that battle, Christ comes and destroys them all. And speaking of this day, and he does it a couple times, of his second coming, Jesus says to the disciples who want to know, Lord, where will this be? Where are you going to come again? Because we want to be there, right? And do you remember what he said? And it makes perfect sense now. In Luke 17, 37, where the body is, there also the vultures will be gathered. There's going to be such carnage from this war. And what happens when there's death and their body is lying down on the ground? Vultures and so on. You ever seen the movie Braveheart? Anybody seen that movie? They have a great scene where they, they show all these bodies at the end of a, of a battle, and the, the, the wives looking for the husbands of the sons and mourning. People, thieves are taking stuff, and there are these birds and vultures, and they're you know, feasting on these bodies. That's what it's going to be like. Where these vultures are, and it'll be unmistakable, that's where I'm coming. That's how you know. But again, the idea is of, of wars on a scale unprecedented than anything really we can ever think of. Or imagine. I want you to see that the, that the revelation of Jesus Christ given to John, as well as the prophets in the Old Testament, support the words of our Lord in Matthew 24. Do you see that this morning? Do you see that? Okay. There will be a time of war and rumors of wars, and nations rising against nation in an unprecedented manner. There will be a time of false Christ coming that will lead mis mislead many in an unprecedented manner. But shockingly enough, go to Matthew 24, verse 8. It's wrong in my notes here. It's, I put Mark 26. It's Matthew 24, verse 8. What I'm telling you, all those false Christs and all the deception and the, the revealing of, uh, you know, of the Antichrist and so on when he rises to power. All these wars and rumors of wars. That's just the what? What does verse 8 say? Beginning of 
birth pains. That is not a pleasant time to be alive, is it? It is still not the end. I mean, could Jesus be any more clear on this? And isn't it amazing that myself and all of us probably in here have been lied to and believed the lie that he could come tomorrow? Now you see, no way. It's not happening tomorrow. Now I suppose that a year from now it could happen if there was a massive unfolding of these events, right, to an extent. But even then, there's supposed to be a, what, a seven-year period of Daniel's 70th week and so on. You get the picture here, right? You need to know these signs. And now you know it's like birth pains, okay? And it's unprecedented beyond anything we could ever imagine. And beyond, it's just, there's no movie that can make it how bad it's going to be, all right? And we've just got through two of the signs, all right? We'll talk about famine and pestilence and what that's going to look like next week. Okay? The persecution of believers. All of that. Okay? Which makes sense as to why you know, dispensational pre-tribulation rapturism, again, that you're going to be taken up here. Doesn't that sound good? Very popular, right? And even though the historic position of the church is that this doesn't happen, that the church goes through it all and we are taken up and come with him here. I hope that your eyes were opened, and I want you to see something here as well, because I, I never want it to be about me. Okay, don't, don't, don't be me, be Jesus. He says, I have told you in advance. And that should draw forth praise from your mouth, because this is what the Holy Spirit does. He tells you what is to come. He wants you to know, and now you know, at least two of the signs. It is a sudden, unexpected coming for sure but it's not anytime soon. In the meantime, he tells you as we will get through this, you better get ready. That's our job right now. Be ready. Amen? All right. Will you stand with me? We'll close the song this morning. I thought we'd close with how great thou art because it talks about when he comes again. All right? Father, we open our mouths and our hearts to you and sing with praise, the fact that you are coming again, and that you've provided with us just all this information, and we can know and worship you when you come again. And all God's people said, amen. amen.